Hello, welcome to OHTV. Lovely to see you. Um, what we're going to be talking about today is not something maybe that you wouldn't necessarily think of in terms of health. It's misogyny, masculinity and well-being. And there's a few reasons we're talking about this, partly because um, lots of stories have been in the news over the last year or so looking at these issues and looking at the impact they have on our society. And of course, as individuals living within society, that makes a difference. From a mental health perspective, we're looking at a crisis, really, in, in men's mental well-being particularly around um, suicide, loneliness or isolation. We're also seeing a lot of news stories about young men being maybe feeling quite adrift in society. And we're still dealing with the kind of perennial uh, issues that we have around sort of uh, issues between sexes. If you think about uh, domestic violence and abuse, interpersonal conflict, um, situations around sexual violence and rape. And, and it's about how we think about the best way to support people who are growing up and the best way that we can think about these kind of issues to move forward in like a, a fruitful way, in a way that's not about anger and blame. And there's a lot of polarization in, in society at the moment. So we're not gonna be doing anything like that. We're gonna be exploring this issue. And we would love if you would join in with us. So let me hand over to Dave so that we can talk about ways in which you can contribute tonight and ask questions of our fantastic guest. Dave? Uh, yeah, thanks, Nick. It's great to be here as always. Uh, yeah, same as always, a couple of ways you can join in tonight. The first is on Facebook Live, obviously watching the feed. Just head towards the right, uh, just type in your comments, questions, any thoughts, uh, and we'll try and bring in as many of those as we can tonight. Uh, the other option you've got is over on Twitter, and all you need to do is use the hashtag MHTV. Uh, but without further ado, Nikki, straight back to you. I think the best way for us to go forward would be to introduce our fantastic guest, Dr. Seti. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a senior lecturer at Surrey University um, and my research predominantly focuses on young people's experiences of sex and relationships, both online and offline, and some of the kind of challenges they face, the risks, harms, however we want to describe it. And um, a lot of my more kind of recent research is focused on how boys and young men are navigating some of the issues around relationships and consent and those kinds of topics. Yeah. So um, these things that we're worried about, you know, um, young men's well-being, their, their perspectives on misogyny, how they're treating women and girls and all of that um, is definitely something I've been exploring quite a lot of at the moment. And I really also enjoy as part of my research um connecting with people in schools and other settings to think about okay what does it mean to actually address some of the problems that we see um from the perspective exactly as you have just elaborated nikki that really takes a constructive and an inclusive and a non kind of hostile blaming approach to this problem mm. so when we're thinking about sort of misogyny what exactly are we are we talking about Oh, blimey, well, you know, it's funny, we're doing this on social media, isn't it? Because this word gets bandied around and, and everybody's got a kind of different view and, and all of that. And I, I suppose, you know, at very base level, we're talking about the hatred of women, mm. like we've got misandry and misanthropy around these ideas mm. um, with men and, and, and human beings as a whole, respectively. Mm. Um, but I also see it as not just about kind of hatred towards women, but but also a kind of derogatory or demeaning attitude towards women. And I think sometimes that can be articulated in, well, what do they call it? Like benevolent sexism, mm. this idea of, you know, um, we, we we may all have seen the, the Andrew Tate interview with the BBC where something he was saying was about, you know, 
if I'm going to walk a woman home, then I am protecting her. Mm. And in a way, you think, oh, well, isn't that very wonderful that you want to actually protect women? So therefore, you don't hate them. But I think it is still predicated on that sort of power imbalance and that idea of who has the power and who has the control and all of that. And, and this vulnerability that we're reading into women, that is derogatory. And we could actually start to conceptualise that as misogyny. And I think mm -hmm. the reason I would do so is because the, the attitudes that can lead to is, is the regular kind of victim blaming that we've been seeing. Well, women shouldn't wear short skirts. Women shouldn't get drunk. Women should do all of these things because we want to protect them. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I think misogyny can be wrapped up in a protection I've got your best interest at heart attitude but actually it's still about power and control so I'd still see it as problematic somehow basically definitely I can, I can see what you're saying there so we're talking about kind of a, a pervasive attitude towards women I think one of the things that's quite strange is you know, women are in the workplace, women are doing things they've never done before, all the time you see these amazing, you know, we saw the, the changes Me Too brought, all those things there, and you think, how is this still happening? How are these two things happening at the same time? But I do think there's maybe an interrelation between the two. Yeah, I mean, we've probably got to think of them not as kind of, you know, oh, how unusual that these two trends are happening at the same time, but perhaps that they are almost feeding into one another because, yeah, there have quite rightly been strides made and, and 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 statements made about you know the rights and wrongs of various things women place in the in the workplace women's rights mm. like not to be sexually assaulted and to have unwanted sexual experiences as a matter mm. of day-to-day -day life and, and all of that and I think but at the same time and maybe it is because we live in a divisive age and mm. uh, but our solutions to these problems mm. have been quite opposed haven't they mm. there's been a lot of defensiveness um a lot of kind of right we're on one side and we're on the other and I think actually particularly if we're talking about young people mm. who are kind of caught within these narratives mm. it feels like I mean a lot of the boys say I speak to about some of these developments mm. most of them you know would say yes there is some accuracy to to these developments that they're, they're totally legitimate we mm -hmm. we don't want women to be sexually assaulted we want women to have the right to work and all the rest mm -hmm. of it they're not completely retrograde mm -hmm. but they they then don't know what their place is within that mm -hmm. and a narrative that they're hearing is that within all these developments they are the problem mm -hmm. and actually you know what what I would love to articulate is that none of this is a zero-sum game all mm. of these developments should aid the health and well-being and life chances and happiness of all people in society mm. however I think the message boys and young men are getting rightly or wrongly mm. at least what they're interpreting mm. is that we are being positioned as the problem within mm. all of this mm. and we're not quite being told now where we fit we're being told what we're not allowed to do we're being told what we'll get into trouble for doing mm. all of the stuff that maybe used to be normalized 20 30 years ago no we've been told we'll get into trouble for all of that mm. but we're not being told well what does it mean to have a healthy relationship with a girl what does it mean to approach somebody that you fancy and mm. want to talk to what what would mm. that look like in a positive healthy way mm. and I think that's where the problem is in a way we've, we've gone on a deficit sit model we've gone on like a negative this is what we've got stop model mm. but actually we need to be like right and this is now what we're trying to inspire mm. I think and maybe another thing and obviously don't forget Dave jump in anytime you want as the voice of all men on this <laughs> is um 
But in addition to what you're saying, Emily, you've got this issue as well where some of the most powerful men in the world behave very differently and get away with it. I mean, I don't suppose it's any 12-year-old's dream to be Donald Trump, <laughs> but then look, look at what he's got away with saying yeah, and doing. Yeah. You know, and yeah. some of the most high-profile people you've seen have, have been scooting through sexual assault charges. And Yeah, I mean, power is very attractive uh, most people want power and that is a safe place as it were and I think some of the articulation of oh everything was kind of simple when women knew their place and men knew their place and we all kind of know what to do about that yeah, yeah actually it probably does it probably does feel a lot safer to navigate and I think there is an attractiveness to some of those very straightforward narratives about okay all this anxiety all these um feelings that you might have about this changing social world and all of this stuff that you're seeing going on around you or whatever the solution to that is this really simple thing this mm. is what the gender roles are this is where we should all be at if we can mm. just return to that there was no problem back in the day we all got on with it and women got on with it and everyone was fine mm. and I think that is deceptively attractive right mm. and we know with the criminal justice system as a criminologist I am well aware that you know that the law as it were is not enforced in an equal way mm. and absolutely at the same time we're hearing about okay we should not ever tolerate sexual violence to anybody male mm. or female we also know yes the rich and powerful are still cracking on as they they always have been but also we know on a more immediate level mm. uh, in England at least mm. the criminal justice system is a mess yeah. So these cases aren't being dealt with and there are massive delays in the court process and conviction years, rates. Are, exa exactly. So we actually know that there's a big social rhetoric. But is that actually translating into anything that we can we can grab hold of to think, yes, we're moving in a positive direction where we're all more into the direction we're going in? Maybe not. I guess the angrier everyone gets, the easier it is to, to point the finger and then try and find someone whose fault this is. So how does that exactly kind of, well? Oh. Yeah, no, no, you carry on. Yeah, I was yeah. Say, how does that link into how we see young young men in society? Do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, so this is something that I think um, you know, young men do repeat this idea of like we're under attack, we're the vulnerable ones now, we're this, we're that, and. And I think it's very easy to say, oh, what an entitled bunch of privileged men. That's so typical, isn't it? Of boys and men not wanting to take responsibility for anything, blah, 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 saying that now they're the hard dub by one. And yes, okay, I, I totally get that that sometimes does happen. Mm. But actually, I think when you dig into some of the feelings, you identify, and we know from within sort of academic scholarship um, and theorizing that mm. there is a difference between power on the macro level yeah. and power that you actually feel as an individual yeah. and a lot of the boys I speak to are like okay boys are meant to have all the power we're meant to know everything we're meant to get everything right we're meant to be the sexual kind of predators as well that get everything our way but mm. when they they're I don't know 14 15 16 year old boys on most of them that I speak to mm. feel none of that power yeah. and they actually feel really vulnerable they don't look like Andrew Tate they don't have that prowess that experience they don't have all this so mm. this power we're telling them they have they don't feel that they have it mm. and but they're being told you're all the ones that need to change you've been having the easy ride for too long it's all what? your fault 
mm. and step up to the plate. Yeah. And some of them are like, yeah, we do need to step up to the plate. We do need to make change, mm. but we don't know what we're doing and we're still really insecure about our own selves. Right. And I think oh. dealing oh. with both of that at the same time, how can we deal with the fact that we do have a disproportionality that girls and women are much more vulnerable to sexual violence and all that than boys and men? How can we deal with that whilst holding at the same time that for a developing young man, their access to that power is really precarious? And actually, if you go into the average secondary school, a lot of boys are at risk of their own stigma, shame, mm. you know. I mean, I've done a lot on um, nude image sharing among young mm. people. And when images get leaked, yeah, we all say, oh, yeah, the guy all looks great. He doesn't have a problem with any of it. Mm. For your average teenage boy, a picture going around of him is mortifying. Yeah. He does not have access to that power. And mm. I think if we can try with young people to hold both of those ideas at the same mm. time. Mm. Yes, there is this societal structural thing that we need to be talking about. Mm. But as developing young people your relationship to that power is really messy mm. and we need to unpack that that power mm. individual and what happens in our interpersonal relationships with each other in 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 private spaces and and all of that doesn't often align with some of these ideas and I think mm. we do need to inject some nuance to some of this yeah I think one of the things I really noticed having worked on sort of women's wards and men's wards and obviously a lot of time with vulnerable people I, I found and maybe it's not as bad as it, it was when I first started in, in health but a real callousness towards young men's experiences this mm. idea that any sexual encounter is great for them and you know the more the merrier and all that but that isn't that isn't even real that's not how human beings are men or women that's not it's not real at all and this well, idea and that a what, woman the, is damaged by sex and a man is enhanced by it it's just what a hundred percent and you know what I mean we know from the data particularly I think at the teenage years rates of intimate partner violence affecting boys and girls is quite similar mm. you know um, a lot of the kind of controlling possessive monitoring behaviors can take place to boys at quite a high level from girls mm. and also there's this real sort of normalization that very narrative that of course boys always want sex of course they consent yeah. to sex that is really stunting their literacy around understanding their own wants and needs yeah. if you sit down and speak to a group of boys mm. is it always the case that boys want to have sex can they actually feel pressured can they feel concerned mm. about not rejecting a girl and all of that they will talk mm. all day about the pressures they feel from the stereotype yeah. of we always want to have sex mm. and I think as adults in their lives mm. we are doing them a disservice if we mm. overlay all of that with this girls are vulnerable boys always want everything let's talk about it in this really hostile mm. kind of zero-sum game thing mm. rather than actually we all bring to these interactions a whole bunch of like pressure and all these like mindsets that we've got mm. and how do we actually recognize that relate to that deal with that in, in a given scenario I mean mm. I regularly ask young people two questions Mm. one is it possible to have sex where one person wanted it and the other person didn't but the person that wanted it didn't really realize that the other person didn't want to they were mm. like yes that can 100 happen because you don't want to reject someone you go along with stuff you don't want to do that happens all the time and a more interesting mm. question i think i asked them is it possible for two people to have sex where neither of them really yeah. wanted it yeah. they both actually felt super pressured for all these reasons but they weren't able to talk about it yeah. and the, the boys are like oh my god yeah that yeah totally and they really related to that and I think actually as adults the more we propagate the stereotypes the less we're actually helping them to develop that self-awareness mm -hmm. because one thing that I say to boys mm -hmm. 
because they can sometimes be quite hostile towards girls you know a lot of the discussions that they'll say they'll be like girls lie girls do this girls do that and what I try and make them think is well look you've just told me about everything you feel insecure and vulnerable about like maybe the girls also feel insecure and vulnerable like maybe they're not these lying scheming horrible girls Mm. maybe they're also really freaked out like you are what can we do in our relationships to bridge gaps between that what can we do to talk and connect over some of these problems Mm. right Mm. but I think sometimes as adults maybe inadvertently we do uphold some of those stereotypical ideas you know it's weird isn't it because we're we're talking more about sex we say as a society we've got more understanding more emotional literacy ourselves why do you think adults are doing such a poor job of supporting particularly young men because they haven't had the education Mm. i mean we are the generation you know like my generation up or whatever we we have not had any of this we haven't talked Mm. about any of these issues Mm. i was brought up with a boys will be boys if they fancy you they'll pull your hair narrative we mm. have not had, mm. we are slowly but surely unlearning some of this taken for granted stuff, right? Mm. And I think, you know, that this idea that the adult world have got it all settled and figured out is just, mm. well, it's for the birds, isn't it? Because it's not true. And I think the mm. more that actually we can engage in conversations where us as the adults don't have the answers, I think that is such a powerful thing to do because we're basically saying this is a social problem Mm. that we collaboratively have to solve. So Mm. let's actually be curious and inquisitorial about what it means Mm. to be a teenage boy today. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, we as the adult can talk to a teenage boy about what it means to be, you know, a healthy, happy Mm. man in today's society because we don't know. Mm. You mentioned the suicide rates earlier. Mm. That is not a teenage boy problem. That is Mm. an adult male problem. And actually, I think if we can take a more partnership approach to this Mm. and it's not colluding with misogynistic attitudes, it's not not saying, oh, yes, boys, you're right about everything. We totally get everything you're feeling. No, sometimes you do need to push back on it, but Mm. you need to do so with an understanding of, right, what is it exactly that you're saying? Mm. And I think for me, the question always is, to what extent does this enable us to be healthy and happy? I mean, another sort of controversial question I I ask young people Mm. of a certain age, Mm. I know we're all debating age appropriateness at the moment, so don't worry, (laughs) don't throw this out to the 10-year-olds or anything. But when they get to, you know, 15, 16, 17, I ask them, you know, if it it wasn't against the law or if you were never going to get caught, would you abuse a partner? Would you you know force sex on a partner mm. and they'll go oh, no you wouldn't and I'm like right then well these attitudes then are not about what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do they're about our values mm. they're about what we want for ourselves mm. and the more I think we can talk to boys about well what is it that you want mm. and what is it that you're kind of navigating right now that either mm. promotes that constrains that then the better we'll be able to do to have that conversation where we work that through mm. I think maybe as well because adults sometimes are struggling to let young men actually speak and say what it is they're feeling, give them a bit of space. The first time they say anything that's even a bit dodgy, instead of sitting with it and then figuring out what's actually, what what is this about? People are shutting stuff down straight away and you can't develop emotional literacy. Someone isn't allowed to speak. And if you don't, yeah. and, 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 you know, as an adult, you're not going to be hurt by having your feelings hurt. Like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe your kid isn't right on. No, I'm sure they say lots of things that you need to square them up about later on, but you've got to let people speak first. And if we don't, Mm -hmm. then they are going to go to people who say things that are really unacceptable. So they're going to go to the Andrew Tate's, the Jordan Petersons of the world, people who give them structure and um, a feeling that 
they're going to be all right if we don't and validated you know people want to be validated you know we mm. often do this to teenagers don't yeah. we 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 shut them down we say oh when you're older you'll get over it and blah blah, blah. Mm. we don't actually validate the very legitimacy mm. of what they might be navigating and yes some of the choices that they make we would like them not to make some of the words they use yes is problematic or whatever. growing up isn't it trying to shock but people as well it's part it's, of Oh God, well, I, I mean, I say endlessly, you know, a lot of guys that I speak to don't really like Andrew Tate, but they like throwing out the same like and winding everyone up. To oh God, they, they're teenage boys. They love it. They think it's, it's hilarious. Like and, the more, mm. and the more you um, stand up and tell them, oh, don't listen to Andrew Tate. Oh, God, can you imagine if I stood up at an assembly and said, oh, it's all terrible. You'd be feeding them right into it. And I think the assembly method to deal with these issues is completely disastrous for that reason. But but yeah, I think the validation point is is key. And I think what we see mm. in a lot of schools, particularly in response to like um, the issues that we find is like, we must take a zero tolerance approach. And mm. and I totally get that, that there is a behavioral management thing as uh, and us as adults almost want to feel that we've got like the control over the direction it's all heading in and everything. And I completely get that. I think the problem with zero tolerance is you push it underground and it doesn't go anywhere. Like, for example, you know, obviously you mentioned Andrew Tate. I was in a school the other day and the teacher said, oh, well, we don't actually have a problem with Andrew Tate in this school. The boys here do not endorse any of those narratives. And, um, you know, they, they, okay. they have a different they have a different outlook. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. Well, tell me your secret. You know, what, mm. what is it that you're doing right here? You know, and she said, Oh, because um, as soon as anybody says anything that he said or expresses that sort of sentiment, um, we just tell them it's wrong and they know they're not allowed to say it here. And I was like, right, okay. But kind of makes it very illicit and glamorous, doesn't it? And the thing is, knowing you're not allowed to say it in a given area, institution, context, mm. does not mean you don't endorse the beliefs. The, the problem might still yeah. be going on underneath the surface, but, but you've just been told you're not allowed to say it here. Mm. And I think the most important thing is to air is to let people air what's going on for them um in a safe way i mean obviously if there are people in the environment that could be you know i you know i talk to schools a lot about this if you've got boys in a classroom that are saying things and there are girls there and stuff obviously it's a really careful balancing act in managing that yeah. but i think if if there are spaces in which we can say to boys okay like talk me through what you're thinking like lead mm. me through your thought process mm. Actually, I found two things of value in in doing that. One is that you get a much better handle on what they're actually talking about. As we know with teenagers, lost in translation, different language for different issues. We don't really know what we're all talking about half the time. And actually, if you get them to unpack it, then you'll know, oh, I get what's going on here. But also, secondly... It means when you want to have your two pence worth, they're actually much more receptive. Yeah. I've found a lot of the interventions that I've done because it's based on, right, you tell me, you work it through with me. And I'm listening. I'm like, oh, I get that. I get that. Yeah. And because they feel really part of the conversation, as an then when I say, right, hang on a minute, let me give you my two pence worth, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to listen to you now, yeah. you know? Yeah. I guess another thing that I, w- I was thinking about as well is it's very easy to kind of point at the Andrew Tates of the world, isn't it? But like, there's other stuff that, that's really weird and disturbing. We just don't, we're so surrounded by it, we don't see it. I was watching something on on um, a streaming service the other day, and I had Chris Evans in. He's like generally, you know, reasonably cool guy. Anna De Armas in it, and during the plot of this movie, he bugs her. Like he puts a, a like a, a micro dot chip in her bag, albeit by accident apparently, 
and then like follows her to another country after she's not expressed any interest in seeing him again and basically just like goes on at her until she goes out with him and I was watching I was like as it as the movie would progress I was like what am I watching this is so weird like who signed off on this as an acceptable plot it was the do you know what I'm, I'm so glad you raised this because, and I'm going to plug my amazing colleague, Johnny Hunt, now that I'm doing this pilot program with around intervening with young people in a bit of a different way. And um, one thing that we 100% like endlessly say is it's so easy to point the finger at like particular like boogeymen like Angie Tate or whether it be pornography or whatever is the today's cause of all the problems. And what we try and say is the vast majority of the things that young people are being influenced by and exposed to mm. great. Mm. look at i mean johnny always puts up like disney films you know mm. certain you know hollywood movies whatever it might be you know all of this stuff is propagating a particular way to be a, a mm. you know a particular set of identities whatever it is and i think actually let's start mm. with the literacy that young people need in order to navigate all of that rather mm. than right andrew tate is the start of the conversation no that's the end of the process because if you can equip young people with with the skills, with literacy, with whatever it is we want to call it, to navigate this really complicated mm. environment where, yeah, I mean, movies, celebrity, whatever it is, we sell, it, it sells these, these gender roles, these ideas, it's all, you know, really powerful in our culture. And I think the more we actually equip young people with the base literacy they need to make sense of all of that, mm. well, yeah, Andrew Tate's and the world, they'll come and go. That actually doesn't matter. You don't then need to do an assembly on Andrew Tate because mm. you've already done the groundwork. And yeah. I think um, if we problematize one particular source of the problem, mm. well, like we've kind of intimated, you either make it more attractive or the kids just switch off because they think you're being dramatic and mm. it's not effective. You you need to think, right, almost what have we not done already that means this person or whatever it is mm. has been able to gain so much traction. It should mm. be a warning sign to us mm. that something's gone wrong here not mm. oh god Andrew Tate or oh god porn mm. yeah no those things are what they are they're, they're as problematic or as not as we want to see them but it, it should be to us right we need to do something different and mm. you know I think it's a lot easier basically to slag off Andrew Tate to, to say whatever about all these causes than it mm. is to actually say right what do we need to do mm. more effectively mm. with boys so yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because we're talking a lot about emotional literacy and it's like for a while we've been trying to teach people respects and self-identity by overriding their identity and not being respectful. <laughs> it's like a really yeah, weird yeah. way of trying to teach how important it is to listen to each other and to negotiate boundaries <laughs> by not yeah. doing that. So, yeah, it's interesting. One. Yeah. I think you've also done some work around... Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the cultures, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so yeah. You've also done some work on consent. I wonder if there's any Yeah, no, sorry, you carry on. Yep, yep. Well, you know, I think in a way the, the consent stuff yeah. um really sort of reflects everything that we, we've been talking about, right? This this um binary idea of consent, the 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 framing of consent as a legal problem mm -hmm. um and something that you need to do in terms of perpetrator victimization and all of that. Mm -hmm. You, you know I'm, I'm aware of the, the importance of that as a as a criminologist of course we need a very robust legal framework around what constitutes you know sexual violence and consent and everything I think the problem of framing it in that language and, and on those terms alone is that we're not actually 
enabling young people, boys or girls, to develop an understanding of of their relationships on a more well we're not we're not addressing any of the power dynamics we're actually yeah. potentially feeding into them because what we're what we're kind of saying is that your sexual interactions with each other can potentially be criminalized and yeah. someone can potentially be prosecuted for this experience mm. that should actually be about pleasure and and, and, and safety and all of that and i think yes you know we we, we need the law as like a backstop in any functioning democracy but then i think what we really need to be doing with young people is talking to them about consent a lot more broadly because the boys that i'm speaking to are really concerned about this idea that like if we have sex and the girl didn't want it we're going to get arrested Mm. well you know as we were kind of saying at the start no they're not because the justice mm. system is a complete disaster so which is not the message not... you want to give out by the way Emily you don't yeah I mean we don't want to say to, oh don't worry about it you'll be fine no obviously not but but as mm. in even putting that to the side yeah you know I don't think we should be entering into our relationships thinking I might get arrested we, we yeah. should be entering into consent as a I actually really want you to be happy and comfortable and this to be a safe mm. fulfilling pleasurable experience for us like like i was saying mm. you know the question that i ask kids is okay well would we abuse each other if it wasn't illegal if we could mm. get away with it mm. no because that wouldn't have a ha- we would be having a great time would we mm. We'd be having a healthy happy time with each other mm. and most boys i speak to want happy relationships with yeah. partners yeah. Um, but they're being told that those relationships might potentially lead to them being criminalized and i think that really again it's like it's that stereotypical that power dynamic that we are feeding into Mm. and I think we have to be really careful about saying okay the law works in this particular way to protect people from being abused Mm. and it's really important that everybody understands that Mm -hmm. and that's that's understanding abuse Mm. understanding consensual healthy relationships requires having that sort of in your mind but we actually need to focus on like a lot of other stuff about what we need to make our relationships you know positive mm. not just when you have sex with a girl make sure she consents because otherwise you could get arrested mm. I, I i don't think that's the mm. framework that mm. we need for relationships i think most adults would i don't know marriage or dating or whatever you're not thinking right okay the law says i'm allowed to do this no yeah. you're, you're entering into that exchange hopefully yeah with a with an idea of mutual pleasure with an idea of like mm. you know we both want to be here right and I think um, the more we can encourage young people to think on that level rather than it's, it's the same old thing, isn't it? With, with all this, we're trying to frighten young people into behaving in a particular way. And then we're surprised when boys turn around and say, oh, but what if a girl lies about me? What mm. if I thought it was OK? And then I'm spending the rest of my life in jail. Mm. All that hostility. We say, oh, don't be so misogynistic. But actually, we've almost engendered the, the hostility because we've, yeah. we've given them so much anxiety mm. rather than saying, you know what, the law exists. This is what it says. This is what mm. you need to understand. But your relationships can be a space of happy, healthy, safe kind of interactions. And this is mm. like the skills. These are the outlooks. This is, you know, yeah. what we need to be talking about to make that happen. Yeah. It's lowest it. common denominator stuff, isn't it? What yeah. can I legally get away with? Yeah. I mean, is that really how we want to frame this? I mean, because that's what a lot of the kids, a lot of the kids ask me that. Yeah. What about if this happened? Would I get arrested? What yeah. can I do? You know, what if we're both drinking? What if we're this? What yeah. if we're that? And I'm like, look, like, this is not a good way to be approaching your relationships, yeah. you know? Definitely. So, yeah. Definitely. I think we're going to come to Dave in a sec as well, if you're ready, Dave. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on all this? 
yeah i suppose like most evenings uh it's always difficult to sit here and listen to such an interesting conversation mm. where it's not like just so many things that trigger thoughts mm. and i know you're really good at this at kind of circling back Nikki and, and kind of reflecting on what you've heard and I just think oh I want to talk about this I want to talk about that I want to talk about the other I think one of the overriding thoughts that I've got and maybe this is a bit too glib but I suppose as adults I think we find this stuff really really difficult yeah. so what hope do kids have and I, and I think that's kind of one bit that I'm thinking I also think as as a dad myself you know how can I try and model good behavior how can I address bad behaviour? How can I talk to my children about these issues? Like, like you say, Emily, not in a, if you do something wrong, you're going to be arrested, but here's how you do things right. You know, here's how you positively affect these things. I suppose, as you've been thinking, a couple of questions that came into my head that may be a little bit provocative for any people out there that work in schools, but I suppose one is, are schools a terrible place to educate people about relationships? And then a second question is, are teachers the wrong people to do it? Oh, God, yeah, definitely provocative. Um, yeah, so um, I think the first part of what you said is really interesting. You know, I used this sort of glib myself phrase of, you know, this journey of relationships is not, and like our identity and all this stuff is is not a destination. It's it's a lifelong thing. And I think the more we can approach relationships as skills rather than fixed endpoints, you know, relationships ebb and flow. People break up, they get divorced, they they, they change their mindset over their life and whatever. You know, these 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 processes should be treated as skills. And I think a really powerful thing to role model, as it were, is empathy, perspective taking, self-acceptance, compassion, you know, all of that. And the more that we embed that in our interactions with young people, the more we are enabling them to practice that. If we as the adults in their lives participate in those kinds of conversations based on perspective taking, based on like, I get what you're saying, have you considered this and back and forth, right. the more that they'll then be able to go out and have those relationships themselves. They practice those skills with you, right? I think on the point about schools, blimey, yes, I love how you phrased this question. And um, I think, do you know what? It's a complicated thing. I think, yes, it is not great what's going on in schools at the moment. And I don't think that's because schools and teachers are useless. Absolutely the opposite to that. I think the context that they are trying to deal with this in is impossible. I think that they have been tasked with, we've got misogyny, we've got harmful sexual behaviour, we've got all of these really deep-rooted social systemic problems can you solve this all as a school like can you do it in RSE can you do it through whole school approach can you do all this stuff um we're not going to give you any funding we're going to constantly you know have this media political discourse that tells you how dreadful you all are and that you're getting everything wrong you're going to have parents complaining that you left right and center but you know can you just solve all these problems for us and I think you know the schools are trying to deal with this um within that landscape and i i have a great deal of, of sympathy for what they're trying to do mm. and i think um schools can potentially be a place it's like this kind of microcosm of society and there can be you know really great examples of schools bringing pupils together to talk things through and to practice all the skills and the the sort of knowledge building that that we've spoken about this evening i think there is scope to do it I think in the current context, we are so far away from it happening 
um, yet schools are still mandated basically to do it and I think it's a really difficult time actually I think the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, just my own experience of working as a health visitor which Nick is always keen to remind everyone that I am uh, and the stuff that doing domestic abuse and and really wanting to support especially the mums that I work with uh, around domestic abuse sort of hoping that they would feel comfortable disclosing uh, you know, situations where they were in a domestic abuse relationship, you know, me as a male health visitor going in. Uh, and hopefully I did a, a, a pretty decent job at that. I think one of the things that I found really interesting was a programme that was run uh, by Pat Craven. I don't know if you've heard of the Freedom Programme. Uh, okay. And one of the things that I liked most about that was the way that it primarily works with women, uh, but it kind of talked about two uh, extremes of individuals. Uh, one of the extremes was called the dominator, uh, and the other extreme wasn't kind of the same, but it was just a decent human being and kind of saying those two extremes. And what I really liked about it was the way that it it kind of identified the behaviours that you would expect from the two different pe people. Uh, so just as an example, uh, on the dominator side, talking about the jailer, stops you from working and seeing your friends, tells you what to wear, keeps you in the house, seduces your friends and family. But the, the thing that I think is really good is on the other side talks about the liberator, welcomes your family, friends and family, encourages you to have outside interests, encourages you to develop your skills at work or at college. And, and I think, you know, that's one of the things that I find quite helpful as a man myself, that kind of thing about these are the positive behaviours that you can sort of, show inhabit you know role model sort of all that kind of stuff and 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 I suppose that's one of the things that I'm quite interested in all of this is you know how much can we really reinforce those positive things that we can do either as yeah. men boys you know partners you know husbands whatever uh, and I suppose I, I really like that yeah I think that sounds fantastic and yeah two things to say what you just said one 100 percent. I think it parent, school, um, health practitioner, whoever you are, um, I think we've got to think about is what we're doing with this young person increasing or decreasing the likelihood that they'll make a disclosure to us? And I think sometimes a lot of the negative warning oriented messaging is like our desire to like very quickly have an influence over their behavior and stop them from doing things that actually over the longer term might reduce the likelihood that they'll come to us if they make a mistake or that if they get in trouble or or abuse or, or whatever um is going on for them and so I think um you know that's obviously a really important thing to consider but on your second point about um positive and healthy kind of attributes yes it goes back to what I was saying I think a long-standing problem that we've got is that um we've told kids like what they shouldn't be doing and we haven't actually said well this is what is positive this is what is healthy however on the other hand I also think that part of the sort of emotional literacy around this is saying, okay, yeah, some of these behaviours and traits and experiences might be unhealthy, but like sometimes they might be not like desirable, but they might make you feel good. This, you know, something I speak about with young people a lot is possessive and controlling behaviours can feel very loving. It can feel like, wow, someone loves me so much that they like want to control me. They don't want me talking to anyone else. And I think what's so important is to say, 
yeah, this is what actually constitutes a healthy relationship. But like, let's look at some of those nuances of how it actually feels when we're in a relationship. And like, let's look at some of the consequences of that. Like, I don't think sort of just listing things off is necessarily like the end of the process. It is definitely thinking about the, the two sides of the coin, if that makes sense. And I've had some really interesting conversations when you when you unpick with young people. Okay, yeah, jealousy, possessiveness feels a certain way, but then what's it actually like when I don't know that they're, they're looking down your phone and they're stopping you from going out with your friends? What does that then feel like? And how do we deal with almost the dissonance around all these emotions that we're going through? So I think with with young people in particular, that emotional intelligence and literacy is just absolutely vital. Mm. I think we've, 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 we're nearly at 40 minutes already. I don't yeah, know. No, but um, we've been talking about kind of the ways that young men are seen in society, the issues people are facing and the impact on health, a bit about emotional literacy and consent. I guess we need to start sort of tying things up together and actually thinking if there's anything, Emily, that we haven't spoken about that you really wanted us to, to, to look at today. Yeah, no, I mean, we've covered a, a big gambit, haven't we? And I'm yeah. sure we could kind of talk all night, couldn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I think in a way, a lot of this is quite transferable, isn't it? Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know if there's anything you want to kind of no, wrap no. up on that would be helpful. I guess, is there anything, any resources that people could look at? Anything that they could read or kind of inform themselves on? Anything you'd advise? Last words? Oh God! Yeah, no. So I, I am working with. Well, the, the book's actually called "Working with Boys." Um, I can send over that. And I'm, I'm working with the guy that wrote that book, and it's, it's really exactly as David um has been saying. It's like that this positive approach. It's about okay, let's look at like the polars of of mm. what we could be like in our relationships, what our identity could look like, and and like how can we sort of navigate that and encourage that, and actually what's really cool about that book is that it doesn't sort of it's not that you've actually got to grapple with all the like really I don't know complex topics of like Andrew Tate or pornography or all this stuff that maybe certain adults might shy away from there's actually so much in there Mm. that's about how can we talk more broadly with boys about all of this in a way that will then translate into their outlooks in all fields of life as they're navigating these issues and I really like that book for that and um, I'm working with the author it's Andrew Hampton that's wrote it and um, written it and um, and I'm working with him to see how he's going to kind of implement it um, and and seeing how that's going to go but I definitely recommend um, adult, you know, any, it's designed predominantly for schools but I think parents, health workers, I think a lot of people could could learn something from reading it yeah Yep, so we'll tweet that out as well. Yeah, definitely. Oh, he'll love that. He'll really appreciate that. So yeah, <laughs> cool, let's do it. <laughs> no, he's great. <laughs> is there, uh, yeah. Dave, is there anything that you wanted to add? I don't think we're on next week, are we? Uh, no, in terms of future episodes, uh, not next week, uh, but the week after we've got Tamsin Greaves to talk about art cares uh, and then Hazel Cheeseman from Ash, she's going to be talking about smoking and mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I would say from... So, so episode wise is anyone that didn't catch the uh the special edition that we did from thursday that was uh the 2023 skellum lecture uh so that really is worth sort of uh anyone that's not not seen and heard that to, to, to get that but that's on all our channels so uh yeah fantastic we've been tweeting out emily's wise words in the conversation and places like that <laughs> so um <laughs> amazing um and i guess Great, I will. The- yep 
one of the great things about kind of mental health work is it's not just biological it's psychosocial it's social it's political you know and and how we live in society makes a difference to how people's health is how people's well-being is and i think it gives us a kind of mandate to look more generally so um, i hope you've been along for the ride with us talking about something that's maybe not just sort of like biomedical it's actually looking at something which is a bit more holistic but i think it is really key yeah it's so vital isn't it yeah to, to be mm. and we can often medical Cool. Definitely. And we can often sort of medicalize or, or sort of psychologize yeah. like teenagers, can't we? we? We can be like, oh, it's the hormones, it's this, it's that. And yeah, all those things are true, but actually we do need to put them in a kind of social context as well. So right. yeah, that's been really great. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. If we want to see kindness, I guess we're gonna have to show kindness. Maybe that's that's the message. Exactly. All right. Well, thank I you. Know. And maybe to each other a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> so. Thank cool. you very much, Emily. Yeah. It's been absolutely brilliant thank to see you. Bye all. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Bye, everyone. Bye, bye. See you next time. Bye. bye.